Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Rabbi David Levine, and this is Live from Home. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Sandy Levine, and welcome to our home. We want to welcome all of the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Mishpocha. So glad you could join with us. All podcast listeners who are listening live right now or watching live on Facebook Live with us. And everyone who's going to be hearing this later, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. This is Yom Shabbat on Saturday, June 13th, 2020. And this morning, Brian and Deanne Rose will be leading us in Hebrew prayers and worship. And then after that, Rabbi Yuri and I will be joining live from home and we'll share some very important thoughts from the scriptures and as well from our hearts. And then we'll return to the Rose family at the end for a final worship song. And I want to encourage you to participate in the worship today. Yes. It's actually something that you can try to do. And, and I did it last night. And of course, I missed all the good voices around me. But I enjoyed coming into the presence of the Lord together as Brian and Deanne were leading us in worship. And I know many other people were doing the same thing. This is a spectacular time to worship the Lord together. A really wonderful time. And I hope you really do join in with us. So from Sandy and me, we say Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And now let's join the Rose family to live from home. Hello everyone, good morning, Shabbat Shalom. My name is Brian Rose, this is my wife Deanne. Shabbat Shalom. And we'd like to welcome you to live from home. Let's begin this morning's worship with the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom for all eternity. Amen. And now the Veshamru, the scriptural basis for why we gather together this morning and every Shabbat. The children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Yamim, Asa Adonai, 
in our city, in our country, all places around the world. Lord, it's a privilege and an honor to be united in spirit and to worship you with one voice, with one heart. Father, we love you and we welcome you, Lord, into our homes, into our hearts, into our lives. Father, we welcome you in even greater measure than at any time before, Father. We welcome you, we welcome Yeshua, we welcome your Holy Spirit.
for you are welcome in this place. Show your mercy and your grace. Come and fill us, Holy Spirit, come. Baruch haba. Baruch haba. Baruch haba. watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going. Amen. 
What a beautiful, beautiful worship song. And as Brian was singing that last part, I, I was thinking about this fact that while you and I were asleep last night, maybe we went to bed with some worries and concerns and the problems that, that we're experiencing or the matters that are so important to us were weighing heavy on our heart, but we went to sleep last night but the Lord was watching over us. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't slumbering. While we were taking our rest at that moment, our physical rest, the Lord was continuing to watch over, to guard and protect us. And you and I are sick because the Lord is watching over us. You and I have protection because the Lord is watching over us. You and I are not alone because the Lord is watching over us. And not only is he watching, but he's with us. He's standing guard. He's active among us. He's present with us. And so it's so beautiful when we can worship together. And I had the sense as, as Brian and Deanne were leading us in worship that many of us were actually entering in. One of the things that may refresh you, one of the things that may bless your soul is to watch the video again of the live from home after you've seen it live but to watch it again and to enter into worship yourself and you can enhance that worship experience in a simple way we publish the lyrics to the hebrew prayers and to the songs with each video and with each live post as well but at the very top of this live post if you had two devices right now you could actually use one of them to go to the worship lyrics and the prayers and you could use the other to watch the video. You can't really do both at once on one device um, unless you open up two windows, you know all about that. I don't wanna get into the, that complexity. But I can tell you this, everybody can do this. You can watch the video afterwards with the lyrics, having printed out the lyrics for yourself and you and your family, you and your mishpocha can enter into worship together. It is a powerful experience to do that. And not only can you do that, but you can also watch the video again of our teaching and, and our messages, and you can take notes. You can pause the video. You can look up the scriptures if you had not already. You can write for yourself your observations and your thoughts. And amazingly, on, on this medium, if you're watching on Facebook, even if it's the video version, you can participate in the comments on Facebook and they will connect to the real-time comments while the live from home segment was live and your comments at that time will be added in and you'll become a more active participant. There, there are many things you can do. It's part of learning how to participate together with us during this time when we are not physically together. Well, I want to begin with a prayer that 
we love to use as we open up our Torah study. Would you join me? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitsheno B'mitzvotav Etzivanu La'asok B'diberi Torah Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This morning, I want to look at Numbers chapter 11. We looked at this passage last night, and I want to again look at it. I would encourage you to watch last night's video of Live From Home because it, it was important. It had a lot of very sensitive and even challenging ideas and feelings. And it, it was very emotional as well for me. And I can tell you that the spiritual work that God is wanting to do in us together and with us together is not just for our sakes, though we will be blessed as we move forward together, but it's for the sake of Jacksonville and it's for the sake of the world as Jacksonville in August will be the center of focus for the world's attention. And we can become either a place of healing or we can be a place where terrible things happen. You and I can make a difference. You and I can help influence which it will be. Well, let's turn to Numbers chapter 11, verse one. It says this, the people began complaining about their hardships to the Lord. And I read this and I thought, hardship often stirs up complaints in us, doesn't it? We're going through difficulty, we're, we're troubled in, in so many different ways, and our soul can complain. The children of Israel were complaining to the Lord. They were not just murmuring to each other, they were complaining to the Lord, and it did get the Lord's attention. If you read on in the next few verses, you'll see the Lord paid attention, but what, what it stirred up in the Lord was anger. The Lord was actually angry for the children of Israel's complaining and their attitude and response. That, that teaches me something. I want to pray. Even when I'm going through difficulty, even when I'm going through hardship, even when I'm going through multiple directions of hardships, as we are right now, because we've got the coronavirus, we've got the economic issues, there are the racial issues, there are the political issues, and then because we live in Florida, there are the weather issues. We have hurricanes and tornado threats during this season. All of these together, all of these together are hardships on us, on you, on me, on all of us. We, we sense that, we feel it, but what do we do with it? I tell you what I wanna do. I wanna take that hardship, I wanna be alert to it, and I wanna remember, first of all, God is with me. I wanna experience hardship, not thinking I'm alone or abandoned and not thinking I'm hopeless, but knowing that the Lord is with me. And so I want to have an attitude of faith. And even when I'm honest with the Lord and candid with the Lord and saying, oh God, this is so hard. I don't want to have a complaining attitude and spirit. Let's go to Numbers 11, verse 4. It says, next, the mixed crowd that was with them grew greedy for an easier life. I'm reading for, from David Stern's complete Jewish Bible translation. The mixed crowd that was with them 
the mixed crowd. These are the Egyptians and others who had joined with the children of Israel, and they were making an exodus too. They were going with the children of Israel and with God. They were leaving the oppressed life which they had experienced, the difficult life, with the expectation as they went out with the children of Israel, as God delivered the children of Israel and was delivering them, that they would experience an easier life and the things would just be great. And I can tell you this, I can tell the Jewish people this, I can tell the people who were not born Jewish the same thing. If you go with the God of Israel, you're not signing up for an easier life, but actually a more difficult life because you'll be standing with God who is wanting to repair the world and to fix what's broken. And he starts by fixing things in us and by looking at what's broken in us, by healing the separation between us and God and us and people. And he has a great work to do. It is difficult. It takes time for every individual. It can take all of our lives. It takes decades. It takes generations. The Lord knows that this is a difficult work and he's looking for people like you and me who will hold on to his purpose and hold on to this idea that we're called to experience restoration and healing from God, guidance from God. We're called to mature individually in our families, corporately as a congregation to learn how to love each other even better. We're called to learn how to go through difficulty with each other and with God, not thinking we're all alone. And when we do that, we can help be a blessing. We can be a blessing to other people who are going through difficulty. But in this case, as we read at the beginning, the children of Israel are experiencing hardship and they're complaining to God. They're stirring up God's anger. And now the people who have joined with the children of Israel are complaining. The mixed multitude that was with them grew greedy for an easier life, while the people of Israel, for their part, it reads, also renewed their weeping. So maybe the Jewish people had settled down. They weren't so emotional regarding their own hardships. They weren't complaining so much. They had seen God wasn't pleased with that. But now those who are with them, the mixed multitude, they're in agony. They're going through hardship. They're complaining. And the children of Israel join in. They start crying. They start weeping. The agony of their soul is being expressed. And this is what they say. If only we had meat to eat. And then they begin to wax nostalgic and to remember in an idealistic way how great the food was in Egypt and how great things were in Egypt. And they're so discontent with the food God is giving them, manna, which he's providing on a daily basis. They're tired of the taste. They're tired of the, the, the routine of it, the repetition of it. It's not what they want. It's not what they feel they need. And this is what they say. We're withering away. We need meat. We need better food. We need something else. And they're complaining to God. It's, it's a common response that we have when, when we are suffering that we 
complain and we complain to God. And I can tell you the wrong attitude, a spirit of complaining, fetching without gratitude, fetching that that has a negative impact on other people also has a negative impact on the Lord. It gets the Lord's attention, but not the way we want. If what we're looking for is an easier life, if what we're presenting to the Lord is our demands and our needs, even if they seem spiritual, like I, I, I don't like that we're having to use our computers, we should be able to get together. We all miss that being able to physically get together. We long for, expect, we're working towards how we can get together. We know right now that at this moment today, let's just take today, it has its own worries. If we're feeling like we're withering away, it's important to be careful about our attitude and about how we speak, how we think, how we feel, and what impact we have on other people. It's even important, I think, for us to take notice of how the children of Israel were praying. They were praying for meat. They were telling the Lord, you have to give us meat. Now, not only were they suffering, but they brought through their attitude of complaining, through their spirit of discontent, they brought real suffering to Moses and wore him out. It was difficult for Moses to actually know what to do. This time period that we read about is one of the more difficult times that Moses ever experienced. And I can relate to that. It's difficult for me. It's difficult for us. It's difficult for your leaders. I've been in communication with rabbis and pastors all over the country, all over the world. And I know this, it is difficult for all of us. And I wanna tell you, Mishpocha, pray for us. We need wisdom from God. Pray from us. We're seeking the Lord. It's not a question for us, what would we prefer? It's a question, God, what do we do? Lead us. It's not even a question of what are our options. It's Lord, lead us. This is something we learned from the experience of the children of Israel being led in the desert by the Lord. The Lord said, it didn't really matter whether you liked the place you were in or you didn't like the place you were in. When the Lord moved, we move. When the pillar of fire or the cloud of the Lord, the presence of the Lord moved forward, the children of Israel moved forward. So the circumstance could be difficult, but the Lord could say, stay put. Or on the other hand, the circumstance could be pleasant and enjoyable as it has been for us for so many years. And the Lord could say, move on, move forward. But Lord, I love what we're doing. I love how we do it. I love what normal was. Can't we just stay? Can't we just get back to what it was? You, you can't be guaranteed that you can ever get back to what was. You can't go back in time. You can focus on what's important. You can focus on what's dear. And you can say, oh God, we love this part. We need this part, but we're trusting you. And teach us how to be filled during this time. Here's, here's really a challenging thought. I, I'm going to express it to you. And, and it's, it's actually quite difficult thought. When the meat came, and it did come, it brought more trouble. What the people thought would bring relief did not. Now, here's what's even more difficult. 
The Lord sent the meat. The children of Israel, the mixed multitude, were begging God for meat, and he gave it to them. It did not bless them. It wasn't a blessing. I'm sure the first bite felt like it was, and the second bite too. But there was trouble that accompanied that because it was not what God had in mind. It wasn't what was pleasing to the Lord. He gave them what was not pleasing to him. It teaches me to be very careful what I ask for and what I want. Think about this. They wanted to be filled with meat. Why? Because they were withering. Because they felt the food wasn't nourishing. It actually was. Maybe it wasn't as satisfying to their appetite as they had thought it needed to be. But it actually was nourishing enough to sustain them. It was a superfood before there ever were superfoods. What's an alternative when you feel like you're withering? Is it to cry out for the thing that your body is lusting for, even your soul, or even what your memory and your spiritual experience in the past was? Not, not really. I think what we need to do is say, Lord, come fill us. Fill me up with the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we get filled is we actually learn to eat and drink together spiritually. We learn to receive sustenance. Now, there are some of you who, who are part of the Mishpacha and we love you so much. You're so important to us, but you haven't really learned how to eat and drink from the cup that we're able to offer you right now. And because of that, you're like a, a child who pushes away the food that your parents are presenting to you and serving you. And then you're hungry and, and you're feeling like, oh, I don't wanna eat this or like there's something wrong. Don't, don't mix the hardship of the moment and the challenges of the moment with a bad attitude or a wrong attitude. Learn from what we're serving. Bless you if you do that. Now there's, to all of this, there's a, there's a lot that we can pay attention to and much that we need to pay attention to. I'm thinking about the fact that uh, there is an attitude of discontent. You could say it's an atmosphere of discontent that can spread into the community. And what we've looked at is how it spread. Now we're going to go even further and we're going to get how this attitude spread all to the top because you have to understand something. There is a negative consequence of complaining. It has a negative effect. It's a burden. The wrong kind of complaining can be a burden to your leaders. And when your leaders are burdened, if they became complainers too, and if they became critical too, if they became uh, discontent too, it would produce trouble. So I, I wanna tell you, make sure that you're praying for us. Make sure that you're pouring your heart out that God would fill us. Make sure you're a blessing for us because as you're a blessing for us, as you're a blessing for me, for Sandy, for Rabbi Yuri, for Rabbi Zanina, as you're a blessing for our, the leaders of our ministries, of, of our congregation, God will bless you. If we get in trouble, you'll be in trouble too. Let's look at this, about how important it is to cultivate an attitude of hope 
and faith and expectation in ourselves. I have decided that no matter what the circumstance, I am not going to give myself to a complaining spirit. I am going to cultivate, even during hardship, like we're experiencing right now, this is hard. I'm going to cultivate an attitude of hope and faith and expectation in ourselves. Even though, and I want you to get this, pay attention to this, even though I think things will get worse, not better in the near term. That's hard for some of you to hear because you connect hope only with quick improvement. I'm telling you this, hold on, even if things are harder. Hold on with hope. Hold on with faith, trusting God. Hold on with expectation. Because if you hold on, then you'll be able to help other people. I want to encourage everyone to do the same thing. Have that attitude. Let's go to the next chapter, Numbers chapter 12. And we're going to look at Miriam and Aaron and what developed in them and then what happened to everyone. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron, in, in case you don't know, Miriam is Moses' older sister. Aaron is his older brother. They began criticizing Moses on account of the Ethiopian woman he married, for he had in fact married an Ethiopian woman. Now there's a simple principle in the scriptures. When something's repeated, it's underlining it to emphasize it. It's not a failure of editing. It's important biblical literary method to draw your attention. What was the issue? The Ethiopian woman he had married. What was the issue? That she was Ethiopian. How do we know this? Because it's repeating Ethiopian. If it was just that it was conflict between the siblings and the wife, that would be different. They'd leave out the Ethiopian. But the fact that the scriptures are including this and repeating it means something. They said, Moses and Aaron said, this is verse two, is it true that Adonai has spoken only with Moses? Hasn't he spoken with us also? Well, actually it was true that he spoke to Miriam. The Lord did speak to Moses and he did speak to Miriam and he did speak to Aaron. Nevertheless, that was the wrong thing to say as far as the Lord was concerned. The Lord heard them. That's the last part of verse two. This is very timely for me. Moses' own family is demonstrating some prejudice. And you may say, why do I say that? Uh, because of the criticism, Moses' wife, who was Ethiopian. But you may say, I thought he married a Midianite. I thought Zipporah was a Midianite. And the Midianites were, as I understand it, a part of a people group that was spread out over the Saudi Peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula and over the Gulf, into across the Gulf, into what we would now call Ethiopia. And as I understand, they were a dark-skinned people. There were many different skin colors in the Middle East, and as I understand, they were dark-skinned people. And so it's interesting to me, and I take this lesson from me, that the issues of race and prejudice have been with us for a long time. And I can tell you it's important for me as a Jewish person it's important for me as a Messianic Jew. It's a, important for me who's trying to follow the Lord to be aware of and to pay attention to this important fact. God used what we would now call a biracial couple to establish the Jewish people. God chose 
Moses and Zipporah for this task. And so uh, there's another lesson that we need to be careful how we speak. It's important that we speak in the right way, not just factual truth, but we need to season our speech with grace. I want to ask you to turn in your scriptures to Colossians chapter four, verse six, because this statement in Colossians captures a very, very important understanding that the apostle had about how people need to think about each other and communicate to each other. He says this, let your conversation or let your speech be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Learn how to speak in a way that is gracious and attractive. This is so important. We're living in polarized times. We're living in times when, when people think it's normal to insult, to drop an F-bomb wherever they want, to, to flip the middle finger wherever they want, to, to call people the, the kinds of things that our mothers taught us never to say, that we would have been embarrassed to be caught saying by our own parents. Now, you might be thinking I'm talking about political correctness. I'm not. I'm not talking about political correctness. I'm not talking about how to, to speak in a way that doesn't sharply define important truths and positions. I'm not talking about how to edit so that we all have groupthink and, and we all have some kind of we'll just call it political correctness, where we're editing in a way that we really shouldn't edit. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something much, much higher than that. I'm talking about what Paul is talking about, learning to speak in such a way that the one who hears you experiences the grace of God. The one who hears you feels like God's graciousness is, is being imparted to them. It's not political correctness at all. It's something much better. It's gracious words, words carefully chosen, carefully chosen, so that the ones who hear, who hear these words experience the grace of God. We're living in a time where people don't carefully choose their words. We're living in a time where people don't even think about the impact it has on others. And I, I, I want to share with you that God has something higher. He wants you and me to learn to muzzle our mouths when we've got the wrong spirit. This is so important. We cannot take our cues from the world around us in this matter. The world is polarized. The world is angry. The world is fragmented. The world is insulting to one another. You can read Facebook and you can see how outrageous some of the comments are. Pick your social media, Twitter, whatever. You will see that people use these social networks to communicate in an outrageous way, in a way that shows no regard for the people who are going to hear it. That is not thinking about the people who have a different attitude or a different understanding, a different perspective, a different set of life experiences. No, 
the, one of the problems with social media is we can very easily express ugly thoughts that reflect no grace whatsoever. They may be true, but they're ugly. They're not gracious. They're not useful to the people who hear them. And they are useful to us. They bolster us and they reinforce us in such speech. Another problem with our social media, and I, and I love Facebook. I love Facebook Live. I love the way that it helps us connect with each other. We're using Facebook, for goodness sakes. But there are problems. This is what I hate about Facebook. The, the way that it teaches people to be insulting without grace at all. But also the way that we can connect with people who think just like us and have the same wrong attitudes that we have. There's what's called the echo chamber. We hear what others just like us are saying, and it becomes, it becomes the norm for us. And we think this is the right way. Well, I can tell you this, there's not a political party and there's not a movement on the face of the earth that fully captures the complex positions that I as a believer, that my wife as a believer, have you can't put one label on us that actually captures who we are and for that reason i don't identify with any one label or any one movement i can tell you this if you were going to call me anything call me someone who loves god and is serving the lord and that would be enough i would say good enough for that i want my speech to be gracious now, I'm talking about some hard things here, and I can tell you yesterday, I felt the battle. It was the spiritual battle. It, it's over, how can I put this? The spiritual battle has emotional implications to us. There are times when we can feel just the heaviness of the situation. You know, I think, what I'm talking about. There are times when our thoughts just are obsessive or compulsive or our behavior could be compulsive. There are times when we can become just lost in the negative responses. But it's not just those things that I'm talking about. Often when we go through that, there is a spiritual component. There is an underlying, perhaps invisible to you, or a notice to you, spiritual battle that you're a part of. And when you recognize the spiritual battle and you deal with the spiritual parts too, and you move forward with gracious words and, and words that are attractive, when you do that, you know what? You can rebuild, you can have victory, you can be an agent of healing, you can experience healing, and you can promote healing in other people. The scripture that we read in Colossians 4, 6 talks about speech being gracious and attractive. I thought a lot about what attractive means. It means something that draws others. It brings people together. It brings people toward you. If your speech, if your posts on Facebook drive people who are different from you away from you, it's not attractive. If you want to have attractive and gracious speech, you will see that instead of people separating, you will bring them together. Now, with that in mind, I want to be very practical about some things. When we get back together 
at Beth Israel. And we continue to work on this and the practicalities of how to do that in the season that will enable us to safely get back together and, and practically get back together to experience some in-person gatherings of different kinds during our next steps together. When we get back together, something is very important to me because we yearn to get back together. But what's really important to me is that when you come and you join with us, that your speech is seasoned with grace, that your speech is gracious and attractive. And for that reason, I want to tell you that I, I want you to think about any literature that you might bring. Think about offensive literature. You know, we each have different opinions. There are a lot of different political positions. There are a lot of different understandings and practical positions that the people in our congregation take. And that's wonderful. It's one of the strengths that we have. We don't all think alike. But I'm talking about the issue of offensiveness. If you have material literature that's offensive to others in our congregation, do not bring it to the congregation. If, if you want to share a book or some literature that's political and it's in favor of your partisan uh, position, that's okay, but not at synagogue. Give the literature to your friend somewhere else, not at synagogue. Meet them for coffee or meet them at a park. Give them what you want to give them and share what you want to share. And let's all of us Think about this. If you were at synagogue and you were wanting to worship and you were trying to enter into worship and someone was sitting next to you and they had with them material that was offensive to you, it would disrupt your ability to worship. It would affect you. It would make you wonder about that person. But not only that, it would distract you from what God was doing. And so for that reason, I want you to be gracious. I want you to be attractive. I want you to learn that when we're together, we use gracious speech and attractive speech. The last thing that I want is, no, no, it's not the last thing that I want. It's the first thing I want to avoid. Let me tell you, let me put it this way. What I really want to avoid is that as we gather together, that it's a blessing for everyone. It needs to be a blessing for every one of us. And we have to guard our speech in this way, that we speak with grace and we speak attractively. We avoid being offensive to each other and we learn how to listen to each other, how to show sensitivity to each other, how to respect each other, how to hear each other's stories, how, how to discover and rediscover each other again. That's so important because I could understand this. It, it's, a, it's a picture in my mind. If we get back together and we're factionalized and we are angry and divided, it will be like crying out for meat and God sending meat and then a plague coming with the meat and trouble coming with the meat. We're crying out, Lord, we want to be together, but we need to cry out for more than that. We need to cry out for a heart of love and seasoned speech. It's so important that we have grace and sensitivity during this time. It is hard to apprehend it. It's hard to get a hold of it, but we need it right now and we need it in a very strong way. 
when I'm talking to the black members of our congregation, to black friends, to others who are important to me, people of color, I hear stories from them about that or their experience that gives me a different perspective than some of the statistics that I might read about. Because I, I do believe that in our country, we're making some progress, but there are still some underlying problems. And there's, there are some injustices. In, in fact, we have some laws that really are good laws, but they haven't been implemented well. We have some ideals that are perfect liberty and justice for all, but we have not implemented them fairly or adequately. I was thinking about something from my experience when I was a young man growing up in Roanoke, Virginia, and I was a newsman on the radio. One of the people that I had almost weekly contact with for, for a period was our mayor, our black mayor, Noel C. Taylor. Noel C. Taylor. And he was the first African-American mayor of our city. Now here's the thing, and this is so interesting to me. He was a Republican because in, in Virginia, the Republicans were the ones who had fought segregation. The Republicans were the ones who were standing up for integration. Now in other parts of the country, it was the Democrats who were doing that, but not in Virginia. The history of Virginia is, is very special, but it was the Republicans who were the progressive. Noel Taylor, Noel Taylor, a black man was a Republican. Now, not only was he mayor, he was also pastor of, of the largest black Baptist church. But not only that, I wanna to read to you from part of the biographical information on his life. You may never have heard his name and you may never think of him again, but I wanna read a little detail that just helps me frame my understanding of what's going on. It says this, perhaps, perhaps Reverend Taylor's most lasting impact and he's the mayor, most lasting impact came during the civil rights movement. Taylor worked to desegregate Roanoke. He was also a key figure in the struggle to integrate the city's transit system, the lunch counters, and the public schools. You see, the law was moving towards integration, but the systems were not catching up. And even as this desegregation and integration became public policy, it didn't mean it applied everywhere. Lunch counters, as an example. I, I, every black person in America who's lived here for any length of time knows about this history. Every, every person, every African American whose family has been here for generations knows this history about the lunch counters. If you don't know the history, you can, you can learn all about it. But black people could not eat at every lunch counter in America. There, there were white only or colored only, as the signs would say. Not only that, but even when it was legal policy that there would be integration, it didn't mean that the transit system, the mass transit system was integrated. 
And you know what that could mean? Blacks had to sit certain places. They had to sit in the back of the bus. That term, back of the bus, was uh, an important term. If you've never heard it, you should ask a black person about that. Rosa Parks, ask people about her. She was a gentle woman who refused to sit in the back of the bus. And it stirred things up. Noel Taylor was a person who focused on the practicalities. Okay, we move forward towards the integration and desegregation. Now we've got to move forward in each of the areas where we have past history that needs to be overcome. Now, public schools were one of the areas that needed to be integrated as well. And there was challenge in it. I went to a public high school in my junior year and there was in, in our school, there was racial tension and there was conflict. The way I initially perceived it as a newcomer to that school, I thought it's between the rednecks and the blacks. I, I was wrong about that because later on, I found out that there were a lot of rednecks. I'm, I'm using that term affectionately. There were a lot of rednecks who were friends and close with the black people. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I realized, oh, there's tension. This is hard. And it's too easy just to categorize people. I didn't want to categorize the white people. And I didn't want to categorize the black people by the color of their skin in this matter. I wanted to learn something different. What could be done to make a difference? I happened to be the editorial page editor of my high school newspaper at that time. I was. I was a kid, but I wrote an editorial using the wisdom of, of the Jewish sages to, to speak about how to think about each other and how to embrace a sense of urgency that we can get along. I used that and people didn't really know me, but that, that editorial in our high school newspaper had an impact in our high school the violence subsided. I can't say it was just because of my edit, editorial. I, I don't think that was the case, but I can say this. I chose words that I thought would be gracious. I chose words that I thought would be acceptable to the Lord. I chose words that help people think about themselves and about other people. <clears throat> and it had, a, it had an impact. And I've learned something about that. What I want for myself I give to other people what I want. If I want respect, I give respect. If I want people not to judge me by the color of my skin, I don't judge them by the color of their skin. If I want people to treat me as an individual, I treat them as an individual. If I want people to speak graciously to them, to me rather, if I want people to speak graciously to me, I speak graciously to them. Now, I, like you, fail even in meeting my own ideals such as this. But I can tell you, I keep coming back to this ideal because I want to grow. I want to be better. I want to be stronger in all ways, in a way that pleases the Lord. What I want for myself, I give to others. That's an important new covenant principle. It's an important principle from Torah.
to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to give the love to others that you would want for yourself and that you enjoy for yourself. And that's why not having offensive speech when we get back together, not having offensive literature when we get back together is so important. But I'm, I'm thinking about something else that, uh, that is right now from this point on, I wanna put everyone, can I, can I do this? Can I speak in a fatherly way that you could receive this? I wanna put you on notice watch your social media posts and make sure they're gracious from this point forward. Be careful with your offensive speech. Be careful, be careful before God and don't give in to the zeitgeist, the spirit of the world right now where you can just say things that you agree with that may be true, but you say them without regard to whether they're insulting or how they're going to be taken, be careful now. Here's why. If you're insulting people, if, if you're provoking people in the wrong way, rather than using gracious speech in the wrong way, then you'll be harmful to Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue when we get back together. And I want to protect you from being harmful. Because if you're harmful to the synagogue, you'll stir up the anger of the Lord. And we don't want that. We want the blessings of God. Oh man, when I'm talking like this, I feel some people are saying, oh, Rabbi, you're being way too hard. Or, or what are you trying to do? Control our speech? Well, yeah, I guess I am. No, I'm not trying to control it. I'm trying to guide it. I'm not trying to control your speech. I'm trying to guide your speech so that it wouldn't be worldly, it would be godly. It wouldn't be according to the values of the world, it would be according to the values of the Lord. When I'm talking to my black friends who are men, I hear from them stories that I have great empathy for and concern for, where they tell me how they were pulled over by the police simply because they were black. And the incident that they experienced confirms that. Now, I'm not labeling all police as prejudiced. I'm not saying that because I don't believe it's true. And I'm not saying that the system of police by its nature is discriminatory and brutal. I'm not saying that. I'm saying something else, that my friends, the men of God who I know, who are black, have a common experience, all, almost universal experience in, here in America. And that is that they had been singled out and stopped simply because they were black. Now you might know, not know the details. It had nothing to do with criminal behavior. We've all been stopped because of criminal behavior. And it's true that if you're stopped because you broke the law, you better be respectful. You better do everything that you're supposed to do. You better tell the truth. You better learn. Uh, Patricia Cazares wrote me last night and, and was saying as a, as a white woman, as a white mother, she has had to teach her children, including her triracial daughter, how to show respect to the police and, and how when you're stopped by the police, how to behave appropriately. She even puts her hands on the steering wheel and says, yes, sir, out of respect for the uniform and respect for the office, but also in humility. If we're stopped because we did something wrong, that is the problem. It's not prejudice. 
<coughs> it's because we did something wrong. But if we're stopped, not because of not because we did something wrong, but because there is someone who thinks a black man should not be driving a car with white women in it. That's a whole other matter. And I have friends who have had that experience. I've had friends who are who are wonderful men of God, who do not violate the law, who have the experience of what's called driving while black, where they're stopped simply because they were black. There's there's other experience called walking while black, where you just happen to be in the wrong place according to somebody else, not according to your behavior or your attention intentions, not because of what you did or what you were going to do, but simply because you were black. I can tell you stories because I listen to those stories. And I think it's important, Mishpocha, that we all learn to do the same thing. We learn to hear our stories. We learn to hear the stories that don't even fit into our framework. If you have an attitude that people are a certain way, if you think all white people are this way or all black people are this way, you're not well-traveled, you're not highly exposed because people are very diverse. You're probably just prejudiced. If you think all tall people are this way or all blonde people are that way, then the same thing. But I'm focusing on something that's very sensitive to us right now as a people, as a nation, and as a congregation. We have to be sensitive to the common experience of the black people in our congregation, in the world that they live in, and in our own congregation. And for this reason, we have to be careful to season our speech. It's not that everybody's touchy. The black people in our congregation are not touchy. They're, gosh, it's hard to be in our congregation and be touchy for very long because somebody's gonna say something, but I'm talking about something else. We need to elevate our level of concern and be careful about what we're saying and to be careful about how we argue about things. Let me say something else. When men of violence are leading, the violence increases. And when men of peace are leading, then the peace increases and the violence decreases. It was a white and black majority that elected our African American mayor in Roanoke, Virginia, when I was young, Noel Taylor. It wasn't just blacks, it was whites and blacks together. Why? Because Noel Taylor was a man of peace and he led the city in this. And the people in our community had to learn how to become integrated as a city. It wasn't easy. And you can't say it's fully done or fully, you can't say it's easy right now. But I can tell you this, we've made progress and here's why. Look at the families in our own congregation, biracial families, black, white. Look at tri-racial families. Look at people of color who are not African American. They may be from an Asian or um, Middle Eastern background. But we have people of many different colors. We have blended families. We have children who are blended um, biracial, triracial, multiracial. We have people, families that are multi-ethnic. That is one of the beauties of our congregations, one of the strengths. It's one of the reasons why we don't want to just make everybody the same. We love this diversity. Well, the lesson for me 
is that the issues of race and prejudice have been with us for a long time. And it's important for us to learn in our season, in our time, how to manage ourselves and how to handle ourselves, how to value our differences and how to show respect one to another. I want to encourage you to do that. I think we can do it. I was encouraged by a message I got from a dear friend of mine, Claude Painter, last week. After last week's Friday night message, he wrote me and he wanted to encourage me and it reminded him what I had been speaking about, reminded him of an experience he had as a child at home. And he gave me permission to share this. And you'll see something about the moral courage that Claude had as, as, a, as a child. He said, I was reminded by your words of a time as a kid, when I was a kid, when I got on my father's case big time, when he offered some remarks with racial overtones, or should I say undertones. It was the last time I heard anything like that from him. Claude, as a child, exercised moral courage with his very own father. He heard his father speaking about black people in a way that was inappropriate, that was wrong, that didn't reflect a godly point of view. And he <clears throat> got on his father's case. Knowing Claude, it was a respectful way that he did it. But knowing Claude, it was probably intense for his dad. His dad took it to heart and changed his behavior. You know, that tells me something. You and I can make a difference in our own family, in our own lives, and for the lives of people around us when we express moral courage in a loving way. Well, I want to invite Rabbi Yuri to join us now. He wants to share some very important thoughts that are from the scriptures and also from his heart. So let's welcome Rabbi Yuri. Thank you, Rabbi David. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, I want to say it again today from my heart that my experience with the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, because we came from Ukraine, it's already almost six years ago, gives me empathy. And I'm learning and want to learn more about the situation here and the experience with the black members of our congregation here in America. What is it like for you as African-Americans? What is like for you as a black person in our synagogue? And I wanna share with you that it is important to us to listen to your stories about racism, discrimination, and prejudice, to pray with you, to, to serve you. And I want to say something to our mishpacha who are black, and this is from our heart. You are important to me and to my family. Thank you so much for being faithful to congregation. Our hearts are very sensitive to you, and I want you to know this, this is true. And thank you for your obedience in following the Lord and loving congregation. And I want to confirm one more time that Beth Israel is a very unique congregation with so many different people, and that all of us, we are family with one father. It is beautiful. And we are filled with the same spirit, spirit of the Lord. Spirit of God is in us. What is so important to understand that we are the temple, temple of the Lord. We are the Mishkan of God and his presence dwells in us. It is a beautiful picture. Today's Torah portion is so clear and straight about our need in the spirit 
of the Lord and his light in our tabernacle. And I want to read from Numbers chapter 7 and Numbers chapter 8. Very brief, interesting story here. So chapter number 7, verse 89. When Moshe went into the tent of meeting in order to speak with Adonai, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the ark cover on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim and he spoke to him immediately following the dedication of the mishkana it was the moment of dedication moses went into tabernacle and the lord began to speak to him from the ark of the covenant so Let's read Numbers chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So the first words Moses heard from the Lord. It was the very important words from the Lord. Adonai said to Moses, Tell Aaron, when you set up the lamps, the seven lamps are to cast, cast their light forward in front of the menorah. The first thing the Lord commanded was the light the menorah of God. Light the menorah was the very first thing Moses heard from the Lord when he entered the Mishkana. So we are menorahs of God. Everything in the tabernacle of the Lord starts from the lighting of the menorah. Everything. And we know that in Revelation chapter 4 verse uh, 5 we know that menorah of God represents Ruach HaKodesh. Menorah in the tabernacle was the representation, the picture of, of the Spirit of the Lord. In the Torah portion, the Spirit of the Lord represents by menorah, and it comes first. And where is the Spirit of the Lord? Where is His presence? There is light from God. His clearness, His warmth, His wisdom, His forgiveness. His love, his patience, his vision, his mercy, his tenderness. This is why today it is so important to stay in the spirit of the Lord, to stay in his presence, to live by spirit, not by flesh, not by your own understanding, not by our own feelings, but to, to lead, to believe, to be led by spirit. To share the same spirit as children of the same heavenly father. And, you know, when I thought about today's Torah portion, I thought about one more very important part from uh, actually today's Torah portion. And that makes even more interesting and meaningful for me. Tabernacle of Moses was built and consecrated on the first day of the first month, month of Nisan. Please think about it. This was the beginning of the religious year, a religious calendar. The Lord commanded that the Nisan will be the first month of the year, religious year. So Tabernacle of, Do of, David, of Moses, I'm sorry, was built and uh, presented to the Lord and to the people on the first day of the first month, month of Nisan. Everything starts from the service to the Lord, from the tabernacle. And the first thing in the tabernacle was menorah, 
which is representation of the Holy Spirit. Everything starts from the Holy Spirit, from his presence, from his love. And I want to read from Exodus chapter 40, because this is the beginning of everything. Exodus 40, verse 1. Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you will set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. First day, first month, everything starts from there. Exodus chapter 40, the same chapter, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And verse 35, Moses was enabled to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud resided there and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. And I want to remind us, the month of Nisan, this is the same month, month of Passover, month when Yeshua came and died for us, when he reconciled us with the Lord. It's a beautiful time, an important time. Everything starts with the tabernacle and with the spirit of the Lord in the tabernacle. So, so great. This is the picture of our ministry. And if we want to be fruitful and effective in our lives, we need to be filled with the spirit of God. We need to walk in his love, in his forgiveness, and we need to shine to people around us. We need healing of our souls, renewing of our minds, changing of our hearts. We need to walk in his fullness. The same in the Messiah. He's our, our example. And Yeshua began ministry after he was filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, after he went through wilderness of his life. It was beginning of his ministry. He's our Messiah and he's an example for all of us. And I want to read from Isaiah chapter 11 about our Messiah, about effectiveness of his ministry, about his light. Is Isaiah 11 verse 1. But a branch will emerge from the trunk of Ishai. A shoot will grow from his roots. The spirit of Adonai will rest on him. And this is what we need today, all of us. The spirit of wisdom. We need to have wisdom. And understanding. We need to understand these times. The spirit of counsel and power. We need to have power of his spirit. We need to know what to do. The spirit of knowledge and fearing Adonai. This is heart of everything. He will be inspired by fearing Adonai. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. Not judge by what we see and what we hear, but be moved by the Spirit of the Lord, be led by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is wisdom, understanding, counsel, power, knowledge, fear of God. So it is beautiful to be a child of the Lord and to be filled with the Spirit, to be a menorah for others and to shine by our examples in the midst of all challenges of this life. And it is beautiful to be part of great congregation with such diversity and be filled with the same Spirit of God. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi David.
we're trying to speak mishpacha to you with clarity and with love, and I hope you're receiving everything that we're saying in this in this fashion and with this tone. And I also want to say how important it is for you to be praying for us because this is a hard season. It's it's a hard topic. It's difficult to talk about, which is why people don't talk about it because it is challenging. But we are called to address these important issues and to learn how to show respect and how to show kindness, how to, how to celebrate our diversity. The differences that we have can be used to make strength for us. We want to celebrate those differences. We don't want to get rid of all the differences. We want to find the ones that add strength to us. We want to use them in many different ways. I'm grateful for some letters and emails and phone calls that have come from some of you. Thank you. Several of you have really encouraged me and I appreciate it so much. You blessed me. Your words were full of grace. They helped me so much. I can tell you that Sandy and I feel the spiritual weight of this. We feel the spiritual pressure. I know Rabbi Yuri and Rabbi Zanina too are feeling the weight of this. We really need your prayer. I'm encouraging you to even use the comment section right now to pray for me right now so that I can continue to express to you what's important, what's on my heart and, and what I need to say to you to help us all move forward together. You can use those comments and to pray for me, pray for Sandy right now, for us as leaders to pray for the Corsians too. We need that prayer. Don't be passive and don't say, oh, well, somebody else will do it. Actually, we need all of you standing with us. The more of us who can come together, who understand that, that we as a community have something very special. We have something that we need to not only protect, but we need to develop and enlarge. And it's not just for us. It's for the good of others. God's plan is always for the good of mankind. He has plans for good, not for harm. Even if it's for difficulty, it's for good. And so we need your help. We need wisdom. We need to be able to pray for wisdom. We need to hear from the Lord about certain things. There are so many steps to take that are possible that are in front of us, but we need to hear from the Lord. It's like what I spoke of earlier about following the Lord when the cloud moves. We need to seek the Lord together. Lord, what are the next steps you want us to take? And we need to be patient to hear from the Lord and then to do what the Lord shows us to do. We don't want to just copy what somebody else is doing. We don't want to do what others are doing or go the way um, that others are going. We don't want to go back the way we came. We want to do something perhaps that's unthinkable, but it will include what's in, let's say, in-person gatherings of some in some ways that are great, as well as continued live streaming. We know we need to do both and we need wisdom. We need God's timing. We need God's blessing. We need all the resources and steps that are necessary. And I'm asking you, please pray for us. Give priority to this. Take time to pray for us. And you can do it even right now. Instead of just saying Shabbat Shalom to your friends on Facebook, say a prayer for me. Thank you. I, I want to also say something from Philippians. I want to share with you. This will be a longer than normal um, 
life from home. Usually when we first started, we barely made it an hour. Now we're almost up to an hour and a half. I want to go just a little bit longer with a passage from Philippians 2 as we prepare to wrap some things up. This is the last passage I think that, that I want to share with you. It's Philippians 2 verse 12. And those of you who do put the scriptures in the comments section, if you would put Philippians 2, 12 through 16, that would be really great. And it starts this way, therefore, my beloved. I love that because it expresses also how I feel towards you. You're beloved to me. You're beloved to my wife, to, to all of us here at Beth Israel. And we want you to know that we love you. We respect you. We, we appreciate you as you've always obeyed. Paul writes the Philippians, not only when I was right there with you, but now much more when I wasn't physically with you. I think that's an interesting little detail and so timely because we are not able to be physically together at this exact moment, but we are able, we are able to be together anyway. This is what Paul says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I find that very interesting. The Lord is speaking through Paul about the usefulness of fear. Some people are just totally against fear. I'm not. I think some fear is useful and some fear is counterproductive. Paul is talking about the fear that is important that's associated with our own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both, and this is important, both to want what he wants and to do what he wants so that you experience his good pleasure. To want what he wants and to do what he wants. That's so interesting because in, in many ways, we figure out what we need and we tell the Lord that's what he needs to do. And he's saying, now I want you to want what I want for you and to do what I want for you. This is what it means to be a God pleaser. Verse 14, so timely. Do all things without complaining and disputing. You see here, Paul is speaking to the Philippians who he loves. He's not there with them and he can't come to be with them soon. If you read the, the entire passage, he hopes to, but he, he can't immediately come. But he's saying, do everything without complaining and disputing. He's being very practical, which is useful for me in thinking about how to speak to you. What we're doing, do it without complaining and do it without disputing. As Paul says, verse 15, so that you may become blameless and harmless. Harmless to whom? Well, in some ways, harmless to Paul. You know, like, don't hurt me in this way. It is hurtful. You may not have read this part of the text the way I do, but I see that Moses in the part we were reading, he was hurt himself by the complaining and by that spirit of criticism, that discontent, that surfaced in the people and even in his brother and sister. He was hurt. Paul, I mean, we tend to think of Paul as, you know, bold and, and detached from common emotions sometimes, you know, strong in all ways. He's saying be harmless. <clears throat> like, be harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Don't take your cues 
about attitudes and about speech from the generation around you because it's crooked, it's perverse, it's broken. The same could be say, said about our generation. So you can shine as lights in the world. Isn't that timely? Exactly what Rabbi Yuri was talking about. Exactly what the Torah portion in its other theme was talking about. So that you can shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, hold tightly to the word of life so that, and this is, I, I'm, I'm going to underline this. I, I want you to get it because many of you would not have noticed this and it even will be difficult when I point it out to you for you to hold on to it, but I'm going to say it anyway so that I may rejoice. Paul is saying, I want you to get a hold of all this so that I can have joy. I'm, I'm saying the same thing. And Paul goes even further, so that I may rejoice in the day of Yeshua that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And I can say the same thing. I don't want to finish out my life thinking what a waste it was. I tried, but I failed. You will make the difference in that matter. Your life, the way that you love each other, the way that you love the Lord, the way that you season your speech with graciousness, and the way that you make your speech attractive, the way that you think about people who are very different from you and how they might respond to you, the way that, that you think about what you want and then you give that to others. That will bring me joy. It'll bring the Lord joy. That will also help me have this attitude that what I've spent my life on was worthwhile and that I didn't run the race in vain and that I didn't labor in vain. And so I'm not ashamed to say this. Paul said it. Moses said much the same thing. Every leader I know has this tension right now, feeling like, I hope my people get what I'm saying, what's in my heart. Some of the rabbis have had the terrible experience of talking about these sensitive issues and people in their own congregation getting up and walking out on them, insulting them, and mixing all sorts of other issues together and forgetting what the rabbi is actually saying and what he's pointing to. Please don't do that to me. Please don't do that to us. If you're in another congregation, you're watching our Facebook Live, show honor and respect to your rabbi, to your pastor during this important season and let us move forward together. Now, I made a reference about August here in Jacksonville. Some people are not aware that the Republican National Committee has decided to have the nomination process here in Jacksonville in August, August 24th through 27th. I'm not sure the exact date. And so we will have approximately 50,000 people here in Jacksonville for that convention. There will be massive security. There will be media from all over the world, news media. Jacksonville will be the center of attention. And not only that, there will be protesters as well. This will either be a place of healing, and that will be a moment of healing, or this will be a place of violence and of destruction. What you and I do together can make a difference in that. It's not that we have all the authority over this area. We're not claiming anything like that, but we have a part in this. You and I have to choose to be a part of the healing process 
here in Jacksonville. How do we do that? By being part of the healing process in our own congregation with our own mishpocha, by bringing healing in our own families and even healing to ourselves. That's how we do it. That's how we spread everything. And as we're taking that attitude that what happens here is going to spread to the whole world, you and I have an incredible opportunity. Our congregation has an incredible opportunity. But know this, you could probably say that every two weeks from now to the end of the summer, something incredibly significant will be happening in America or somewhere in the world that could change the direction for good or for bad, that could cause even more conflict to emerge. There are many important decisions that have to be made and leaders all over the world need God's wisdom. I'm begging you to pray for those in our government, but also to pray for us. And pray for us as we're taking the steps to understand and to hear from God, what do we do next so that we can have some in-person gatherings? We love those times together. It's, it's so great working. Um, we're working on the in-person gatherings because we love our times together and, and we may be separated physically but we love the special closeness of being together, of worshiping and seeking the Lord, of reading Torah, of celebrating. And even if we can only do some parts of it, we wanna understand from God how to do it. I need to know from you that your hearts are ready to be gracious and that you're ready to approach even in the midst of all of this trouble, that you're ready to approach everything seasoned with grace. That's, that's what I'm asking for. I want to ask you to also join me in praying right now for James White. He's going through really a great difficulty and physical pain because of a neck problem, a vertebra problem. Lord, we pray for James. We pray not only for, for a temporary relief of pain, we pray for wisdom for the doctors. We pray that they would know what to do and how to do it in a way that would relieve pain and actually increase mobility for James, where he could sit up and he could move around, he could walk uh, without discomfort, without suffering. And we pray, Lord, for healing. What the doctors can't do, we're asking you, O oh God, the compassionate one who heals, to bring healing to James. We love James and Vanessa, we love their family. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your mercy in the name of Yeshua. And Lord, we want to lift up as well Tom and Dee and Holt and Deborah as they're in the women's prison today for the first time, ministering together with the team that's there. This is the first time that the women's prison has been opened up for them because of the close down, the lockdown, the shutdown uh, because of coronavirus. But the prisoners were protected from the virus. The ministry that's going to take place today will have its social distancing and protection and the limited capacity and we're praying that you would use these from our congregation who are trying to serve the lord that you would use them in a powerful way that you would use them in a way that brings life in a sense of god's blessing and freedom in the name of yeshua thank you for those lord who take notice even of the prisoner in yeshua's name we pray amen Thank you, everyone who's been generous and faithful to support Beth Israel during this season. Thank you for those of you 
committed members who are faithful with your tithes and your offerings. For those of you who are giving sacrificially, it's such a blessing, not to not just to us personally, but to the whole congregation, and not just to the congregation, but to the Lord, because your giving is really unto the Lord. And he takes notice of all of your cheerful giving, all of your sacrificial giving, and it brings joy to him. It's important to him. It's important to us. Those of you that would like to participate through the online giving, which we have, you can go to bethisraelnow.com slash giving, and you'll find everything you need to know about how to use Giving Fire and how to use PayPal, our two online giving platforms that are both easy to use and customize, and they are also very secure and wonderful for your giving. You can also use the U.S. Postal Service, of course, and send checks in by mail, and you can use your bank's bill pay service as well. Thank you so much for your generosity. Thank you for your continued faithfulness. At the end of every service, when we're in the sanctuary, we gather together, and Sandy, when she's with me at the, in the sanctuary, we stand together, but we're sitting right now. And so, Sandy, come sit with me. And, and Sandy, what's on your heart? Well... I read the comments. I'm very present. I know that you don't see my face except maybe at the beginning and the end. But I want you to know that the cares of this world are on each of us, but they are magnified here, uh, both at the synagogue when we're present there and here at our home. And this week has been one of the most um it's like a hurricane in of spiritual activity swirling around us and rabbi david expressed it one way and i'm just expressing it to you from the experience of it and so there's the hurricane there are the storms but there's also the cloud and I can't see the comment section right now, but I hope everybody that has fingers will write the cloud, the cloud, the cloud, because it's only as the cloud moves that we'll move. And for many years, we have seen the Parshas line up with the things that are going on in our community. I mean, the most interesting things, the most diverse things. And if you haven't read the Parsha and the, um, um, the Prophets this week, for this week, and the Brit Hadashah, I urge you to just go and read them. Make notes for yourself. I wrote out 26 pages of scripture only this week because the Parsha so lines up with the things that we're having to work through, the things we're having to decide. And we need the cloud. We need to see, Rabbi David and I need to see when the cloud is moving. We need, right now it's resting. And we just need you to understand that. And we're looking for the cloud to move and to where it's going to go and how God's going to work next but it's the cloud we're watching for. And when we get, I'll just be honest, when we get pressures, when are we gonna open up? What next? I'm telling you, 
we're waiting for the cloud. We're waiting for God's word, God's specific word about how to continue because we know their troubles now. We can name them. You can name them. We don't know what the troubles will be later today. We had troubles come at midnight last night from outside our own uh, issues. So we don't know, you don't know what the troubles are next. And we're waiting for the cloud and the wisdom and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we will let you know as that happens. But right now the cloud is resting and we're there waiting to know what's next. So thank you, Sandy. Be praying for us, as we said, as, as we're seeking the Lord, because that's the first part of the process. It's not just analysis or thinking about, oh, we can do this and we can do that, but it's seeking the Lord and hearing from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And we, as we're hearing from the Lord, as he's directing us, of course, we're we're understanding what do we need to do we're making plans we're trying to move forward and we know when you combine hearing from the lord with action on his timetable in his way yes. it's always a blessing yes. and there's never regrets for doing that so stand with us that's part of what we need prayer for and as you unite with us in prayer god will bring us into whatever is next however it's next, and it will, it will address the needs of all of our community in, in fantastic ways, I'm sure. So right now we, we're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then we're going to return to the Rose family. But join together with your family that's, that's with you right now. You're not practicing social distance with your family in your own house. Um, maybe when visitors come or when family comes from outside, you are and need to. But right now, join together as, as Sandy and I are. And let's, let's remember, May the Lord bless you and may the Lord watch over you and keep you and protect you and guard you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you so that you could shine upon other people. May the Lord be gracious to you as you embrace this idea of gracious speech, as you speak with grace to others. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom that you could enter into the fullness of the covenant of shalom that Yeshua our Messiah has made possible for you. you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on this extended uh, edition, <laughs> this Mishpacha edition. Stay with us because we're going to return right now to the Rose family for one more song of worship. Join in as Shabbat we welcome Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, Rabbi David. Thank you, Rabbi Yuri. Um, it's wonderful to be together this morning. And as we close off our time of worship for this week, for this Shabbat, let's join together and sing this beautiful song to remind us that we have someone who knows us, who loves us more intimately than anything we could even imagine. This is a song called, I Have a Maker.
my life was in his hands. I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in His hands. He knows my
Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Shabbat Shalom, Mishpacha, friends and family. God bless you. Have an amazing rest of your Shabbat together with your family, and we will see you next week. Bye.